Hey guys, hello and welcome to another episode of the First Four Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Avery Liller, here with my brother and co-host, Zach Liller. How's it going, man? Actually, remember to do the intro this time. <laughs> Good start. Yeah. Zach, what you been getting into today? Oh, just enjoying. Good day off, making some turkey calls, watching some turkey hunting, just doing the whole thing. You know, while we're doing this, uh, or while we're in this uh, off-season downtime, you know. Yeah, uh, but outside of that, that's pretty much it, dude. I ca- I had to call you this morning because, uh, dude, getting to watch the sunrise every day, it just the closer we get to April, the harder the mornings hit. Mm-hmm. Especially if I can't like actually go out and listen on my ride, and you know what have you. Yeah the the wait for hearing that first gobble was getting pretty unbearable. Yeah, hopefully, uh get a couple days here soon to get out and listen to them, try to see what what the uh, bird situation's like up on the mountain. I think it's going to be a good one. Saw a lot of long beards in uh, bow season. Seemed to have a fair amount of jakes last year, so shaping up pre- to be a pretty good one. Yeah, dude, I'm pumped. Mm-hmm. So, Zach, have, we've, uh, yeah. we've done two turkey hunting episodes so far. And I thought that we would mix it up a little bit and do a Q&A, because that's fun. <laughs> so, I told you to come up with a few questions, and then we could bounce things off of each other, but I'll just go ahead and ask you my first one. And okay. I would like to know your, I mean, me and you share a lot of the same opinions whenever it comes to turkey hunting, but mm. I would like to know your opinion on camo during turkey season. Maybe the importance, um, what kind of camos you like to use, why. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, absolutely, camo is important when it comes to turkey hunting. I mean, their greatest defense is their eyesight, so you don't want to go out there with you know blue jeans and you know bright colors and everything. But I would have to say that camo isn't near as important as you know a good hide staying still and all that good stuff when it comes to actual uh camos that i choose to wear during the spring i mean i like to keep it you know fairly simple i like the classic patterns mossy bottom lane green leaf they've been around forever they're proven they work but also in a lot of ways i choose those patterns because it's kind of a uh I don't know, a heritage type thing, I want to say. Like, I mean, whenever turkey hunting really exploded, those were the patterns that were around and those were the ones that were popular, you know, go back to the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And it's just during that, you know, that explosion of turkey hunting and developing that uh, culture with turkey hunters, I think that's cool to tap into every spring. Uh, And then when it gets, you know, past... uh, middle part of may into late may i stick pretty true to with, with obsessions got a good good amount of green and it breaks you up nice all that good stuff now, i prefer the uh the original run of obsession that was done from like 2005 to 2017 i think is whenever they did away with it but i i prefer it i mean the new obsession that they uh did when they partnered up with nwtf it's it's nice but for whatever reason i keep going back to that original obsession 
Now, are you a are you an original bottom land or new bottom land guy? Both are both are really good. It doesn't really matter to me. Uh, if I had, I would say that uh, the the new bottom land probably by the slightest little bit is more might be a little bit more effective, and I think it looks a little bit better. But uh, that original bottom land, I mean, it's a, it's good stuff. It's proven. Now, and, uh, oh, go ahead. You know, I was just going to touch on uh, one thing that I've done for years and years is uh, running a good leafy top. I mean, you might want to talk about it. I don't know. But uh, I just want to be on the record. I was wearing that way before. It's become this huge thing. It's always been something that I've that I've rocked. Uh, I think it just breaks your outline up a little bit. I think it doesn't do as much as some people think. But it's just a good piece of gear that I have and I feel feel more confident when I hit the woods wearing one. Now, I'm glad that you touched on the leafy top, um, mm-hmm. breaking up your outline, what have you, because I actually had a sub-question here, which is camo versus concealment. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah. Yeah, because we can talk camo patterns all day long, but if you're not worried about, you know, finding um, – now, all scenarios are different. You might not have enough time to actually, like, look around and pick the best spots. But if you can, you want to f- you want to try and focus on concealment more than your camo itself, um, whether that's being in the shade, um, you know, breaking up your outline, your silhouette, and just trying to match the actual terrain itself. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think that's what I was getting at. But, uh, I mean, we're all going to have those moments where he gobbles and he's 50 yards just right over the ridge, and you're going to have to make do whatever, with whatever you have. But taking the extra time, if you have it, to get tucked away in the shadows with a good backdrop with good concealment on your back to where you're not sticking out from both sides of your tree, just really being able to tuck back in there. Even if you have time uh, to, uh, if it's late season, you know, you have some undergrowth and stuff, maybe um, cut some of that and build you a little ground blind. I mean, if you have that kind of time and you have confidence that you can call him to that spot and that's where you're going to get your shot i mean i think that would be you know worth doing if you have a little bit of extra time to work with mm-hmm. yeah and definitely just adding a leafy top in general kind of taps into that concealment um category if you are in a pinch like if you don't have time it's kind of like a fail safe to mm-hmm. kind of guarantee your at least your top half will be um not silhouetted as bad right all right, Zach, so my second question would be calling. Calling's important. So mm-hmm. in your opinion, are you a mouth call, pot call, box call guy? And what is, in your opinion, uh, the most entry-level system, like the barrier um, for entry for someone who's just starting out? And why would you carry those based off of convenience or sound? Okay, so as far as uh, what do I run? Do I run mouth call, pot call, or box call? Quick answer is I run them all. I mean, I carry uh, at least one good uh, pot call, and it sometimes it gets left behind, but when I have it, I'm glad I have it, is a, uh, a box call that I've had for several years. I have a ton of confidence in that thing. Yeah, it gets bulky. You hit it on stuff. Maybe it makes a little bit of sound when you're, jumping you know across the creek or climbing a ridge what have you but 
when when it's time to reach out and touch a bird or if they're pretty tight-lipped, it just seems like that box call just is a consistent producer for provoking that gobble. Um, but more times than not, the biggest call or the one that I rely the most on is a mouth call, is, a, you know, calls that I make myself. Um, it just seems like when it comes down to it, if I had to carry one, I need that mouth call just in that scenario that I do get that bird coming to me and he's, you know, within that hundred yard range and I need to give him just a little bit of something. I much prefer running a mouth call, just keeping hands on the gun, not making any extra movement, being able to manipulate the sound, whether it be with my hand or, you know, muffling it within my mouth, just the little things you can do with a mouth call and the benefits of it. It's just impossible for me to hit the woods without a good one. Um, when it comes down to a beginner, uh, what call I would recommend they start with. As far as user-friendly, I would say that, for, or, well, let me say most user-friendly, but also get a quality sound is a good box call. I mean, all you got to do is get right, get your hand placed right and just scrape that paddle off the box and you'll get a good two-toned yelp that'll uh, be fairly realistic and you can kill turkeys. Now, for somebody who's wanting to actually break it down into a mouth versus pot call, in your opinion, which one has a better sound, I guess, with less practice? Um, I know that that comes down to type, um, who's making the call, Mm -hmm. but um, just in your opinion. Yeah, there's a lot of factors. I mean, type or who makes the call, is the call fit correctly for the person if it's a mouth call? But when it comes down to it uh more times than not a pot call would be the more i guess there's less of a learning curve for a pot call and you can get some really good sound and turkey vocalizations with a good quality pot call yeah definitely i don't know in my opinion i feel like it's easier to hit the the high end of the Mm two-tone yelp with a pot call obviously that's based off a of brand and who's making it. But for someone who's trying to hit that two tone, it's definitely easier with a pod call. And then once you can hit that two tone with a mouth call, I mean, mouth call is just, it's, it's a, it's probably the most convenient call to carry one. You don't have bulk in your vest. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't hit that two tone Yelp, you're going to call in any bird. Um, if he's wanting to come in, that's, you know, the biggest factor there is. Right. But then as far as sealing the deal, you can also make those calls without making any movement compared to a box or a pot call. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Zach, we were talking, you know, you didn't actually start um, running and gunning for turkeys probably until, um, what, high school probably? Yeah, yeah. The early parts of high school is whenever I started doing a little bit more moving around and trying to cover ground and turkey hunting um so that i mean that's what that's how i was taught turkey hunting but we're you know whenever we're talking turkey hunting we're mostly talking running and gunning why Mm -hmm. why do you think it is beneficial for us to run and gun compared to you know going out somewhere setting up decoys and then sitting on a ridge um I know we sit down and talk about this all the time. Like, hey, if we would have just sat on this ridge, we probably would have killed a bird today. But uh, mm-hmm. why do you think it is 
important um, or beneficial for us to run and gun? Well, I mean, as far as beneficial, uh, quite on, quite honestly, just the experience to start. I mean, I don't want to, I just don't want to sit on a ridge top and set out a, a decoy spread and call every now and then and hope for the best. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine, but that's not why we get up and why we turkey hunt. We want to get out there. We want to climb ridges. We want to cover dirt, you know, and beat them with our feet as much as even, you know, beat them with calling and all that. But, uh, as far as, uh, running and gunning and the benefits, you can catch, you're more likely to run into a bird that is, uh, willing to cooperate and is by himself. I mean, if you set up at a certain spot, maybe you'll, uh, maybe you'll get a bird to respond and come to you, but your chances increase on finding a willing Turkey. If you cover more distance and get your ears on more dirt in a day or a hunt. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with you. Um, I'm definitely not the, I mean, so if you go turkey hunting long enough, you're going to realize that probably half the days that you go, you're not going to hear anything on the roost. Um, Mm -hmm. So if if you're running, if you're wanting to run and gun, it's kind of a way to cover ground in hopes of Mm -hmm. striking something up that typically wasn't going to gobble that day. Um, You know, instead of just sitting. Or that you just flat out wouldn't, wouldn't have heard because he was. Two ridges three, over. Ri- yeah, yeah, two, three ridges away. Yeah, Yeah. so instead of trying to wait for some magic to happen, trying and uh, making your own luck. Um, mm-hmm. So, Zach, this goes back to calling. Um, when, in your opinion, so let's say um, it's a morning, nothing's going on. You mm-hmm. aren't hearing gobbles, maybe they're hand up, what have you. In your opinion, when should you stay quiet and when do you get loud? Um, so, I mean, there's different aspects to this. Like if they're not calling, when are you going through the woods, maybe doing some, uh, maybe some light clucks, some purrs, scratching around the leaves. Um, Mm -hmm. and then when are you just hammering, maybe it's a, a windy day, they're not gobbling. You're just hammering on that box call. Um, yeah. In your opinion, when do you, when do you think you should be quiet and when, when you should be loud? Um, if we're talking about, uh, you know, the running and gunning aspect, when do you get, you focus on getting from point A to point B and not do any calling? Uh, I mean, I usually have a mouth call in probably 75% of the time in one fashion or another, but pretty much I don't make any sort of sound. One, if I need to, or if I know that a, uh, that a bird is, you know, a couple ridges away, I just want to get to that spot. I don't need to make any sort of sounds until I get there to one pinpoint him. And also maybe I'm in a spot to call him up and kill him. But as far as like when I would definitely recommend being quiet is, uh, if you're in an area, let's say you're at the bottom of a ridge or bottom of a ravine, there's no reason to be calling right now because I mean, if he starts moving your direction, you're not going to kill him. If he gets on top, you know, and he can look down one, he's going to look down and see you and you might not even hear him or he doesn't make any noise and then you're screwed. Um, and then also just any situation where it is not an ideal or almost impossible for you to kill him. If you're on, you know, the very top of a steep, steep ridge with 
thick laurel and everything, there's, there's no way for him to get to you. I wouldn't call from there. I would wait until I get to a spot that I have confidence that if he was to make an advancement, I have a good hat and a good setup to where when he comes up, I can kill him. Well said. Well said. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think terrain probably plays the biggest role um, yeah. in that. Like, you're not going to want to scream on a pot mouth or box call whenever you're in the bottom of a of a riverbed. You know what I'm saying? So, right. And uh, I guess to hit on a little bit of, uh, I guess that question could be, you know, taking <clears throat> two different directions. But uh, when to get excited, get loud, and when to tone it down. Well, if we're talking about working a bird, you just got to be able to. Uh, you got to put yourself in those situations enough to be able to read a turkey. Is he, uh, if he's gobbling pretty consistently, but he's not making any sort of advancement, knowing whether do you need to bring it up or do you need to shut it down completely? And it's, you know, you just got to be able to read him. Um, if he's matching your energy and if you're cutting at him and he's double goblin, triple goblin, Maybe continue that for a little bit and see if he makes an advancement. But if he's, you know, goblin, but he's not coming at all, shut it down for 15, 20 minutes, and then you give a call, and then bang, he's right there. And, you know, that was the difference in making him commit to you. Yeah, um, to feed off of that, I definitely think in that situation, less is more. Um, and a lot of times, if he's yeah. If he's answering you and you just keep letting him know where you're at, but he's not coming, make him – Make him be that hard to get woman, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And then yeah. if if he's not goblin, um, or if he if he's not goblin at all, and you're doing um, quiet stuff, maybe get super loud in order to get him to you know yeah, shock gobble or bit. something. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's all about keeping their interest in one way or another. If, if you got to raise it to get him to commit or like you said play that hard to get lady and that's whenever he decides that he's going to come check you out all right zach last one i got for you is mm -hmm. what is the hardest or most memorable turkey um that you've encountered now that could be a kill or the one that got away mm. it's just funny because i mean i've got my butt kicked so many times and there's a lot that stick in my mind i mean I'm not going to say that our birds are any harder because, I mean, at the end of the day, turkeys are turkeys. But uh, the the um, where we hunt the majority of the time, it does create a little extra bit of a challenge. And, you know, you got to be on, you know, your game all the time if you're going to be able to consistently kill them. But so, I mean, I could go on for days about tough turkeys or tough hunts that ended up not being successful. But I guess to narrow it down, I'll talk about one that was successful. And that would be a uh, a bird that I hunted in 2021. And I can't, I mean, obviously I can't say for 100% certainty this was the same bird every time. But in my gut, just the way he acted, the areas that he was in, it, I'm pretty certain it was the same bird. And I had him well within... 75 yards on eight different occasions throughout the totality of that spring and uh one one thing or another whether he swung around got above me looked down caught something putted and left uh hen got in between <clears throat> us and jacked it up um 
I bumped him off the tree once. I mean, I could, there was just so many. Oh, one time deer got in between us and blew, and that's what screwed me. I that's mean, always this, the best. Just, yeah, it was just a, it was a saga, me and this, me and this bird. Um, well, on the very last day of West Virginia season, May 23rd, I was, I had a good idea. Well, that's not even, I had a good idea. I knew the tree he was roosting in and I set up for him. I mean, this was the last two raw, so I wanted to get tight and, um, probably, so he's gobbled twice on the limb. I gave him just the softest little tree call. He flew down. Then strut didn't gobble in or anything. I saw him fly down and walked right up to about 45 yards, stuck his neck out, and I shot him. But just that, just the end to that season and to the story with that bird, that moment of picking up and taking him up the ridge, that was just one of the most satisfying moments that I've had in my turkey career. And, I mean, I sat on the top of that ridge with that bird for every bit of probably an hour and a half just you know taking it all in it was a he was a special one for sure yeah i mean you know we said in uh your um or our 2022 recap that uh the buck i killed this year honestly like felt too easy and that we romanticize at least me and you romanticize on we want it to be hard Mm -hmm. um so yeah those are always the the best whenever you got to work your absolute butt off and it finally pays off yeah, that one, uh, he won't be forgotten anytime soon. And uh, he wasn't even, that's the thing, like, you you think about, you know, all those moments, like, man, that's got to be an old bird. He's just old and tricky. And I get up to him, he was a two-year-old. But I, <laughs> I mean, he just had something about him that he was he was a tough one. And uh, a lot of it was self-induced and out, outside circumstance, but that is a, that's a special turkey to me. All right, Zach, what you got for mm-hmm. me? All right, well, we'll start it with, uh, we kind of hit on it, uh, or you asked me a very similar question, but I'll throw it back to you. If you had to take one call into the woods for a hunt, what would it be? It can be a specific type of call or an an actual, or a very, very specific call. Just, you know, you can run with it however you want. Mm, I think for, well... So my turkey hunting career, as far as calling is concerned, has been, um, I started out, I have a very natural ability, like whenever I started, um, whenever I picked up a mouth call, for example, whenever I was in eighth grade, I think that's whenever I picked up my first mouth call, I had a very natural um, ability to actually just make an actual turkey sound, Um, and then that carried on. I wasn't, I did, I actually am not a very natural pot caller, um, very good pot caller until I think I bought like a zinc, one of the zinc aluminum calls. Those, those original zincs that we had, those were, those were tough. Yeah. When they it, before only, they got bought out, they were, they were, you, they were only 30 bucks, but gone those things would sing in the woods. Yeah. And before I got one of those, I pretty much stuck to just mouth calls. Um, I killed two birds on three hunts whenever I was 15 with a mouth call. Um, yeah. I mean, my confidence with those things was solid. And then once I got that zinc call, that's whenever, excuse me, whenever I finally got decent at pot calling. And then once that happened, I kind of laid off the mouth calls a little bit just because I could get those better two tones. Um, 
And then, honestly, since then, I've pretty much leaned more towards the pot calls. Um, I need to get my, my act together and start mouth calling religiously because um, as far as, like, being um, just trying to take um, ounces off of my kit, I want to have a lot more confidence with the mouth calls. I'm not bad, but as far as our oh, no. as far as our standards are concerned – I don't carry around the confidence that I do with a pot call. Um, right. So that's something I personally need to work on. But if I could carry one call, it would be my Hanks black aluminum um, pot call. Mm-hmm. That I, I don't know. I've tried some calls and nothing can I, – I don't know. I really have that – that desire to always have that crazy high pitch front end followed Mm -hmm. by a deep rasp. And that's the only call that I can like truly get what I'm looking for in a call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That call, when we we hunt together, I mean, I'll be, your ears are ringing. I'll be 25 (laughs) yards away from you trying to get, you know, see if I can't hear anything that you were muted by when you were calling. But yeah, I mean, I'm 25 yards away, and that thing pop, 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 yeah. pop right in my ears, and like that gone. And it's also the That's only. It's also a not. It's not a very sensitive call, so it doesn't require a lot of conditioning. Um, you'll get some calls out there uh, that you have to condition or scratch up, you know, once a hunt. You know, mm-hmm. so this one, I I don't even think I touched it last year, and it makes <laughs> the exact same sound that it always has. Um, that's that's key yeah so something that doesn't require a whole lot of maintenance uh it looks pretty love that call um Mm -hmm. but i definitely want to start using the mouth calls a lot more um yeah so that's what i would roll with okay um you know uh turkey hunting and uh or just Turkey hunting, running and gunning, hunting public land, you know, that's become a big thing. And there's a lot of, you know, influencers out there. But who uh, is your biggest turkey hunting role model or influence? Um, honestly, man, like, uh, it's not even someone on YouTube or anything like that. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. us, me and you, we started hunting, turkey hunting at a very young age. I think I was nine or 10 and you were seven or eight Mm -hmm. and you know my uncle he taught me everything i know about running gun style turkey hunting and i Mm -hmm. have had the privilege of you know traveling with my uncle and his original traveling turkey hunting buddies and got Mm -hmm. to hunt with them uh you know on hunts you know down south or in uh some other states and got to you know, pick apart what they do. And, um, you know, for me, turkey hunting, like watching turkey hunting on TV Mm -hmm. isn't really something that I watch to learn. It's more just for the entertainment part, just like watch, watch turkeys do their thing. And so that way I can visually, uh, envision myself doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not really looking for tips and tricks, but yeah, definitely, um, from family and then family friends um, are definitely people that I look up to for turkey hunting. Like whenever you go into, you know, some of these people's houses and you just see uh giant frame uh, 
like picture frames of just beards everywhere like that's that's where mm-hmm. i want to be you know wherever i'm their age so they're kind of my role models for that that's where i was hoping you'd go with it you know we've been fortunate enough to have you know our uncle be one of the ogs when it comes to you know turkey hunting turkey hunting public land traveling all that kind of stuff and you know it, it was it's been really cool i was up there at his place last week we just you know made calls, uh, experimented with some different calls, called back and forth, all that sort of stuff. And just being able to uh, pick his brain on a consistent basis, having that, you know, easy access to, you know, that amount of turkey knowledge has been, you know, a great benefit to me and to us, you know, going up. And, I mean, we are know, super learn. We are super privileged um, because turkey hunting up until the last decade used to be – one of those, you know, like we were listening to a podcast last week with uh, Kenny Mount on it, and uh, turkey hunting used to be this like super secretive, um, I don't know, kind of niche in the hunting space where like uh, no one really talked about. Like if you, I don't know, a, a select few people in certain towns traveled to turkey hunt or even turkey mm-hmm. hunted in general. Um, especially with a shotgun, most spring gobbler hunters up until like the last 10 years hunted with a rifle, you know, so they weren't, you, it's, especially around here. That's still huge. Man. Yeah. And people, yeah. people still, they can talk big game, but if they get desperate, they're taking that 204, 223 in the woods and they're smoking one from 150 yards. And, and yeah, like I said, up until like the last decade, the most secretive people were the turkey hunters. Um, yeah. So the fact that we got to, you know, I've hunted with almost every single one of our um, uncle's buddies that he, you know, has traveled all over the country with turkey hunting. And just to see all those different styles and then, you know, take like certain tips and tricks just from hunting with them has been, I mean, it's been awesome to establish like your own uh, techniques and tactics. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, that that group that you know that he was and that we got to know i mean some of them do it the same cool but you you know a little bit from all of them and apply it and make your own style so that was cool all right so want to go on to the next one mm-hmm. all right uh can you think back to a certain hunt a season or moment that made you fall in love with turkey hunting dude i was super fortunate uh (laughs) dude i tell you what there is no hunt like my first turkey hunt whenever i was nine years old so i'll just go ahead and talk about that right now Mm -hmm. so me and zach we started turkey hunting the exact same day um i mean dude it just couldn't have like if i could relive that hunt every single day of my life I would. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we actually get up there a little bit later than what me and you would normally get turkey hunting, but the sunrise mm-hmm. still hadn't peaked over the mountains. The little bit of orange and red was in the sky. And I remember, you know, me, you, Dad, and Greg all got out of the vehicles that morning. And uh, Greg had one of those, you know, best sounding owl hooters, uh, one of the wood cylinder owl hooters and just from the camp let out an owl hoot one gobbles 
Um, so I don't know where you and dad went after this, but me and Greg were going after it. Now I'm just mm-hmm. a nine year old chubby, chubby fat kid. <laughs> and here's our uncle who's a run and gun style turkey hunter. I mean, he's like in his forties, he's, he's in shape. And, uh, dude, he's, he's walking, he's leaving me in the dust. He does not care that this nine year old is like, <laughs> like holding on for dear life to keep up with mm-hmm. him. And, uh, we get, we get up on the ridge, um, bordering neighbors, but we're still on ours. And then I don't know, like he picked up hens or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, uh, Greg, all the ashes were still around then. And so Greg's like, listen, he's henned up. We're going to go, uh, we're going to go kill some time. So we go over, um, to another piece, um, doing a little bit of calling here and there. And he's, he shows me the secondary magic of the springtime and that's morel mushrooms, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, actually it was the, one of the best days we've ever had up on the mountain as far as picking mushrooms. Uh, Greg pulls out two gallon bags. He says, Avery, this is the type of bark for the type of tree that we're looking for. And this is the mushroom. Mm-hmm. Go do your mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, do we found two, either a gallon or two gallons of mushrooms that day. And, uh, we're heading back to camp. We go to camp. I don't know if he sat down with me and we had like bologna sandwich on rye bread or something, but, uh, <laughs> but he's like, it is a standard move by him. <laughs> yeah. And, um, he, I think he had a, I don't know. He's, he's gone through some calls, but he had a Woodhaven. I think one of the original Woodhaven, uh, crystal calls. Probably at that time that Cherry Classic was big. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what it was. And he's like, here, Avery, just just gave it to me. Um, You know, picked up the striker in the pot, did what I thought sounded like a turkey, and uh, one hammer's off. And, uh, or maybe he was like peeing or something. I don't know, he just gave me a call. I think, I, I think that's what was going on. It was, only, it was only like 7.30 at that point, but like in turkey season, that's already, you know, two hours into daylight. And he's peeing or something, gives me the call, one hammers, we go over to the camp, I call again, he answers again, so he's like, all right, Avery, this is it, we're going down. And we literally just go 70 to 100 yards below the cabin, Um, Mm -hmm. and he sits me in front of him, I have my 410, it's a, a bolt action 410. And he's calling (laughs) pre TSS and, uh, I mean, dude, he's, he's Greg's calling. He's, he's just like, uh, he's just turning it up. And then as finally he crests the ridge to the, the little peak, cause there was about 30 yards and then there was a sharp drop off, drop off into what we call the hole. And dude, I'm nine years old. I don't know what, what the importance of like. Like it, I wasn't shaking crazy bad because I had no idea what I was actually doing. Um, he crests the crests the little peak, all strutted up and everything. And Greg tells me once he gets a little bit closer, he's like, "Whenever you're ready, shoot." I put it on the head, shoot. Greg gets up running. I'm like, "What the heck's he doing?" And uh, <laughs> yeah, because we're just strictly deer hunters. I mean, you shoot, and you know that's not you don't chase the deer. I mean, no, so, like up until sure then, every deer the I'd killed, every deer I'd killed, I'd like shot in the neck. They had like dropped in their tracks, 
and Greg you gets still up. Don't run after. Them. Yeah, yeah. Greg gets up. He's running, and then you know steps on the head. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, Avery! I can't believe you just did." And I'm just like, "I, I, I, I don't know what I did." <laughs> yeah. And uh, but dude, that was a super cool. That was a super cool bird. I mean, had uh, it was a two year old, but I mean, if it would have been like a three or four year old, it was actually starting two spurs per leg so it had a little button um behind its main uh spur and then since then since then dude like uh you know Mm -hmm. once i finally figured i didn't kill a bird until i was 15 um after that but yeah you had that you know initial success and then a dry spell and then yeah it was all easy again for you that season and then yeah, I mean, it, so it was, um, you know, whenever I was 15 and I called those two birds up by myself, um, mm-hmm. I understood the importance of, like, I caught the bug whenever I was nine. I understood whenever I was 15. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But just thinking back to that uh, first turkey hunt, I mean, at the end, of it's just crazy to think back that it was your first turkey hunt. You shoot a good bird with a 410 and then him to have double spurs. And then also that you struck that bird up later on in that morning, just not knowing what you were doing with the pod call. And that's what, you know, set the tone for the rest of that hunt. But, uh, yeah. So even just going back to that hunt, I guess that's whenever I first fell in love with turkey hunting because me and dad had a phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, that was the only time me and Dad have tagged out on the same day was our first turkey hunt. Yeah, me and Dad, we went out together. And we so you all, you know, cut straight down the ridge from the camp. We wrapped around the mountain, and we got into birds. I mean, we were were having a great morning. They were gobbling, doing their thing. But, you know, me and Dad, we picked picked a bench and tried to call them up to it and just couldn't get one to commit. But then later on that morning, me and dad were heading back to camp. It was, you know, 11, 30. I mean, it was, it was about time to pack it up. And we're dri- walking back in the road. And all of a sudden, above above us uh, on the ridge top, it was probably seven. No, it was close. Probably 50 yards above us. One just, and I mean, it knocks us down in the road. And dad, you know, grabs me. He's like, hit the deck. So we're sitting there and we're pinned down, don't have a tree or anything, just like, I mean, crouched in the road. And he's like, they're just right there. It was two of them. And dad kind of peeks his head up and looks and he can see them. I guess he got to where he could see them, see them, but they couldn't see him. And he's like, can you, can you look up and see him? And I'm, you know, I'm short. I, I can't see anything. He's like, okay, just stay still. And dad, you know, lifts his gun up turns gets a red dot or whatever he had time gets it on his head shoots the turkey run up there and we're holding him and then dad's like like, this is the biggest bird i've ever killed turns out to be just an absolute hammer of a turkey uh just just a stud that thing was uh it was 22 22 22 pounds 10 and it was thinking just a shade under 11 inch beard inch and a quarter spurs just a man of a turkey and, you know, just that moment of, I mean, having a bird that close, gobbling that hard and having us pinned down was definitely something that lit, you know, the fire and the love for me. But unlike you, I mean, I, you know, from that day moving forward, I was hardly ever 
in birds hardly ever even close. I mean, Dude, I we went one. we went so long. Uh, we just had some terrible years where you know we were in school, so there is yeah. no. We might have like skipped school one day a year or something, but for the most part, we're only hunting weekends. There's no Sunday hunting at that time, right. so, so you're you getting Saturdays. like you get four, four or five maybe. days a year. Maybe. And if it's and I, rainy, if I or correct, yeah, I was about to say if I remember correctly, there was some stretches that we missed out on two <clears> or three days because of the weather. But uh, yeah, I missed Mister Bird probably I don't know three, four years later. Um, but that was the only opportunity until I killed my first turkey when I was thirteen. It was a Jake, but the hunt itself was awesome. I mean, we were on a bird right off the limb. He flew down I, for whatever reason. I don't know if he flew down with hens. I can't remember, but it didn't happen. Well, we're working our way down, and then all of a sudden these birds hammer by, or down the ridge, and we set up. And <laughs> it's just funny, you know, the the errors that we've made over the years. But we sit below the road, but the decoys that Dad set up at that time were behind us. So, of course, the turkeys took that road around us, get in the road, and they're fighting the Jake decoy behind us. And I, Dad can look and he can see him, and I can actually see motion in turkeys in the reflection of his eyes. They were that close. It was wild. But uh, they were starting to know that something was up, and they're putting and working up the ridge. And I do the old, like, John Wayne turn around, spin on one, pick, it, pick one up, shoot, and and Dustin, but run up and it was a Jake, but it was just a super cool hunt, a cool experience. And, uh, yes, yeah, so also like you, you know, struggle all those years. Then I kill one down in Kentucky, which we can tell those stories later on or something mm-hmm. down the line. But then I had a year like you did when you were 15. I was, I guess I would have been 17, but I hunted three days and just rolled through two nice gobblers. And then, that was a moment like, oh, man, I got this figured out. I'm a turkey hunter now. It's like, <laughs> watch out. Here we go. And then get humbled really fast yeah. for for a couple of seasons. But uh been fortunate enough to be on a little bit of a – just enough of having, – having enough success to keep me a little bit confident. <laughs> okay. One, one last one and we can wrap this up. But if you uh, – if your time, if your turkey hunting, your time off was only restricted to, let's say, four days, that's all you get, and it's all together, would you rather that be at the very beginning of the season, the middle of the season, or the tail end of the season? What would you pick if you had to limit it to that amount of time? Okay, four days consistent. Um, in mm-hmm. my opinion, I... So that sweet spot for me is I love the transition between the second and the third week, um, mm-hmm. because the second and the third week typically I don't. I, so we're talking. So we're talking just to if people didn't know, this is like the. This is like this is like April twenty fifth to like May third, is right. like that sweet spot for me. Yeah. Um, because it's that transition where the like if it's a perfect spring, you have the second half of the second week you got super thick buds you don't get spotted from canyon to canyon and then the uh second end of the third week is whenever it's starting to get you're starting to get some like thick foliage but it's not quite summertime looking yet so if i had to pick i would pick the end of the second week into the beginning of the third 
that's also whenever I feel turkeys aren't super hand up like they are in the beginning and then they're not kind of gobbled out by the end of the season so if I had to dedicate four days um it would definitely be the end of the second week beginning of the third I like that if I if I guess you know if I was to answer the question I've come to really enjoy the late season hunting I don't know it used to be I mean I mean us growing up we never we hardly had any sort of success hearing birds that late part of the season. It seemed like after youth day in that first weekend, we never got into anything. Yeah. But, you know, as the years have gone by, I guess I really fell in love with late season. Uh, when we were in college and you'd finish up uh, final semester exams and then you get the uh, that last week, which would have been West Virginia's fourth week, seemed like once once I started hunting that consistently – I started having really good hunts. Um, didn't always result in kills, but, you know, seemed like birds were, I mean, they didn't gobble as much throughout the morning, but if you could strike one up, it seemed like your chances of getting him to commit to you were, you know, pretty decent. Yeah, I would, I, I wish I definitely could. I mean, in the last seven years, I've had so many um, fourth and fifth weeks taken away from me. That mm-hmm. that's probably why I veer towards that uh, beginning middle type phases, just because that's what um, that's normally whenever I get to hunt the most. So right. All right, yeah, dude. Cool. So I I thought that was super fun. Um, mm-hmm. I like asking a bunch of questions, bringing out some stories. I could talk turkey hunting stories. <laughs> all day but uh oh yeah for sure it's time for me to get back to work and uh i'm sure you got some stuff going on so it was fun chatting with you and i'll talk at you later yeah man had a good time all right see you bye